Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. The Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast is now supported by the Urban Land Institute. To find out more about becoming a member, please follow the link in the show notes, remembering to quote the promo code ACRE to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership. More details at the end of this podcast. This evening, I'm sat with Alex Joseph, Senior Property Development Director for Transport for London, 11 years with JLL Planning and Capital Markets Division. Alex is the former co-chair of the ULI UK Young Leaders Committee and non-executive director for Bright Blue, an independent think tank and pressure group for liberal conservatism. So let's get started. I start always the same way. How does chapter one begin for you? Chapter one. Well, before I um, had uh, reached an age where I was remotely considering my my career options, I, I was really already exposed to an environment that was this characterised by development. I, I grew up in Portsmouth and I actually spent a year living on the site at Gunwharf Quays, which was a, a major master plan development on former MOD land, um, which was literally under construction. And, and we were living uh, there for, for just one year um, on one of the early phases. And it wasn't a total coincidence that we were on, on this site in that my, my parents are both town planners. My father is also a chartered surveyor. Um, and I, I think that they they felt that was a, an interesting experience, and more more generally, uh, as they were running their own town practice, uh, own town planning practice in in South Hampshire, over the last thirty five years, I was growing up in an environment where there were conversations related to development and then the planning policy context within which development takes place on a on a on a daily basis. Um, uh, we were who who is development for what what do people want from development and and what are issues around uh resistance development were all, all questions and, and conversations that, that happened around the, the dinner table when i was exposed to the site visits after school which wasn't necessarily what i always wanted to be doing but naturally that influenced my my thinking from a very very young age i bet i bet where did that where did that lead you to so i was very fortunate to be in, in an academically competitive environment at, at school and, and when it came to looking at sort of degrees and career direction um, I very much had my sights set on Oxford University and despite this early grasp and, and exposure to, to planning I, I really wanted to be open-minded about what my career options could could be and I actually saw geography as a, as a course that would be relevant to a career in, in real estate, but but also it, it's so diverse as a subject, you know, covering geopolitics, the environment, sciences, philosophy, that it, it wouldn't close other doors um, if I if I wanted to pursue different career options. And I guess that I mean I gave everything I had to get into Oxford, um, and having won that place, I, I really wanted to make the most of every chance that it offered. So I, I got very involved in debating and politics, entrepreneurship. Um, I did a stint editing. Uh, the sort section of a uh, of the student newspaper, and I loved the experience. But but as the degree came to an end, and obviously my peers were all choosing their careers as as well. Um, as a cohort, we were being channeled towards investment banking, law, finance, education, journalism, and none of these really um, appealed to me uh, p- particularly. Which is um, how I ended up. Um, deciding to pursue a master's in spatial planning at, at Oxford Brooks. Given your parents' occupation then, Alex, 
were they were they glad you followed in their footsteps in the sense of taking that departure then from sort of Oxford Uni with uh, with geography then to Oxford Brooks for special planning? That's a very very interesting question. I think they were very supportive of me right the way through my education and, and indeed into my career uh, to, for me to pursue the, the the direction that felt right for me. And I think uh, before I embarked upon university, they actually saw perhaps me going in different directions res- respectively. And uh, if I'm honest, there was a, there was a bit of a U-turn because at, at one point I was really not keen on and, and sort of following in their foot, footsteps. But actually with the benefit of the education that I'd had and the experiences at university in, in some ways the exposure to all sorts of different directions and opportunities meant that I was even more comfortable with the decision that I was taking in in pursuing uh, a career in, into real estate so I think once I had had that opportunity to look at other options and had come back to to planning and real estate I think they were um, obviously delighted I mean it's it's been a privilege to be able to talk to them meaningfully about my my career in real estate and and actually my my brother has has followed in a similar direction he is currently an investment manager at, at homes england and similarly it's been a, a real opportunity for me to to be able to talk to him right the way through my career because whilst we've had different journeys it, it, there have been elements of of uh, crossing paths and, and overlap in in various sectors a growing empire then uh, you're not the first to mention that <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, on, onwards then, we leave the sort of uh, academia and then sort of uh, start then with uh, with Jones Lang LaSalle. Tell mm-hmm. us a bit more about sort of how those early chapters sort of were formed. So I, I graduated at a, a challenging moment. It was September 2008. And actually, I, I was very fortunate to have a pick of a number of offers that I'd received from the big real estate consultancy firms. And it was uh, JLL w- w- was obviously where I chose to go, and and the the reason for that, I suppose, was um, actually Guy Guy Bransby, who was uh, the, the team lead for the team that I joined. He was part of the, the the team that interviewed me, and I was just met with this phenomenal energy and and vision and focus, and this um, sense from the JLL team that they were a bit more comp- competitive, ambitious. And had a, a sort of a team vibe of um, there's there's no reason why we couldn't take on the biggest and most challenging instructions in in industry and to me that was it really appealed um, so it was a great team wonderful exposure to work that was really really broad and then as I sort of grew and developed in in that team having joined it obviously a lot of the work involved planning applications submissions but many of those were actually of a pretty significant scale. So one one that stands out uh, to me in particular was Imperial West, which was a a million square foot master plan development uh, with Imperial College uh, and a science fo- focus to the the campus that we were developing there in in White City. Um, another one that stands out was um, we were approached by a government department based in the Middle East who wanted to bring forward development but didn't have a planning system. So effectively, the brief was, can you come up with what you, you would recommend as a, as a new planning system? And, and again, drawing upon the JLL global network, speaking with sort of Russian and, and other colleagues of, of different nationalities around the world, I really saw the benefit of a firm that had this multinational reach, along with this really strong grasp of, of the local context. 
see, so, you know, Alex was sort of um, before we sort of joined this room. You know, I like to do a bit of research, and I've done I've done a bit of digging, and I managed to <laughs> to have a chat to someone who knew you quite well in those very earliest days, and I asked them what their first impression was of you. This is what they said: a mild mannered, considered, but often with a real steely determination, and that in her earliest days, uh, Alex. It was easy to have overlooked what Alex was saying because of the way in which she often sort of put it across. However, people should listen to Alex as often what she says is insightful and frankly brilliant. Now, aside from that being a, lov- yeah, a lovely comment. <laughs> Indeed. The one, the one thing I wanted to sort of to go back on really was you, know, you mentioned about sort of education and the sort of the rigor you've gone on through and you know, quite frankly, those sort of quite stellar sort of academics. Why didn't you have more confidence in terms of what you were saying or how, or, or maybe not necessarily what you're saying, but how, how you're saying it? Uh, I think it comes down to the fact that I am someone that, that will listen before I speak, generally and in all, all circumstances. And I, I like to hear the context and understand um, where others are, are coming from uh, before I express my, my personal opinions. I don't think... To a certain extent, I think it's it's personality. I am a, a quiet individual by by nature, uh, but I don't think that that changes the fact that I've got grit and and going through experiences like uh, Oxford, which is a competitive environment where you do have to be very confident with expressing your views. When I when I want to, I don't feel that I um, that I hold that I hold back. And in some ways, I, I've always seen actually the ability to communicate messages clearly as something that I needed to develop from a very, um, very, very early point. So at, at Oxford, uh, there is a debating society, um, which was a phenomenal opportunity to, to have access to. And, and in that environment, you would turn up uh, on a Sunday evening as it was um, to debate a subject that you would have notice of 15 minutes before it, it started. And, and that really encouraged me to articulate or, or think about how I would articulate arguments and, and develop my own own thinking. So I don't think that it, it, it stops me. It's just simply a part of who I am, I think, to a certain extent. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I hope we'll sort of come back onto that sort of topic as well, and how that how that sort of developed, you know, throughout your career. But let's. I wanted to go back now to something you just you mentioned then about sort of the university days, debating, and politics, which mm. I understand is, is 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 a very very big part in your in your your life now. So, just tell me a little a little bit more in terms of how that's featured, and maybe in particular sort of at this earlier sort of stages of the building blocks for your career. Um, certainly. So, I suppose. An organisation that that's been uh, had an influence, and I, I hope I've had an influence on it as well. Right over the last ten years, is is Bright Blue, and Bright Blue is a an independent think tank and pressure group for for liberal conservatism, and it, uh, it works to create uh, and vet and influence government policy, ultimately with the objective of building a, a better society in, in the UK. And we cover several different policy themes, energy and the environment, education, welfare, economy, and, and occasionally actually um, housing policy. But at the time in 2009-10, we formed Bright Blue more as a membership organisation because what we really wanted to do was bring members of parliament and other high-profile speakers into an informal environment which gave people access to them and, and access to, to conversations directly with them. 
And then Bright Blue grew and, and formally launched as a think tank in 2015, at which point I joined as uh, the board as a non-exec director. And from there, it has grown from strength to strength. We've, we've got a really strong executive team, offices in the city. And, and last year, Sarah Sands, who, who is former editor of the Evening Standard and, and BBC Radio 4's Today programme, became our, our board chair, jo- joining an established team, which also includes Rachel Johnson. So from a personal perspective and in terms of career development, this this policy thinking that Bright Blue engages in has has naturally influenced how I think about approaching or tackling issues, particularly in the real estate sector. And then there was another component to it, which was more back to this sort of entrepreneurial interest as well, which was how do you found and, and grow a business from, from an idea into a financial success, financially successful reality? And, and how do you pivot and innovate to stay not just relevant, but actually be a leading thinker in an environment that, that is in constant constant flux and for me for for me I I take value from that in my TFL role as well so TFL has a um, a big portfolio with with many SMEs as customers and and just having that bit of an insight into the challenges that SMEs face in in their growth and their day-to-day running uh, to me that's very valuable in in having some ability to um relate to, to what some of the uh, small businesses in the estate are, uh, are grappling with and, and how to deliver development and, and catalyze regeneration that, that supports them, uh, particularly um, in this post-COVID environment. So Alex, the sort of the, the theme of this podcast is about chapters. Mm. And yeah, we've all got the benefit now of of hindsight. Yeah, me more than most, because I've, I've got sort of your career route yeah, to, my, to my right-hand side. Um, and so I, I can sort of see that although you began then with with JLL in in, in the planning department, mm. you do you do make a transition internally. And I just wanted to spend a little bit of time just talking about sort of why and and what and what that is. So why did you want to to make a change? Why did you not want to continue within that stream of planning? After six years in the planning team, it, there was actually a bit of a, a catalyst in, in starting to, to think about my move into the city investment team. And, and to a certain extent, that was twofold. The, the first was actually very practical. I, I was approached for a job opportunity, which was to support a director in founding the London division of, a, of an existing planning company. And I saw this as a, a great growth opportunity but I also realised that it would really commit me to a long-term career in planning. And being in JLL as a large surveying company uh, with a strong capital markets division, I, I felt that I was perhaps closing a door that I, I didn't want to, to, to close. And I think the other element was that I was working on these increasingly high-profile instructions. Uh, a good example would have been the, um, the, the sale of New Scotland Yard, which was the la- largest land sale of, of 2014 at £370 million at the time. And it was a privilege to be taking on such a, a key role on, on that from a planning perspective. But in doing so, I began to realise that I didn't have the grasp of the commercial decision making that I felt I needed uh, or, or at least I wanted for for a long term career in development, and to address that, I also felt that I needed to gain on the ground experience. Uh, and to my mind, the capital markets environment within JLL was was <laughs> there wasn't a better place to do it than than there. So that's 
what I set about to do. Okay, well then tell us tell us about the earliest days then and uh, of that and how how you found that transition. So there were some practical um, things that I needed to do to make that happen. So I applied to Reading University and was uh, very fortunate to have the support of JLL in embarking on a part-time master's in, in real estate. And I started talking to people. So I was talking to people inside the company and outside uh, and at Reading University re- regarding how I might make a move to, to capital markets. And for six months to a, a year, the, the answer was frankly and consistently no. Uh, it turns out that moving from town planning to capital markets is a fairly unconventional pivot. But I had been working with Jeremy Gardner, who was at the time head of the city development team, which formed part of the city investment team. And he was enormously supportive and, and said he would take me on for a few weeks, at least to give me some experience that would help me embark uh, latterly on, on the RICSAPC. And a few work weeks, I managed to convert to a, to a few months. And then ultimately, there, a full-time role came up and I, w- I jumped at it. Um, I'm hugely grateful to him personally for supporting me to make that move and indeed continuing to support me once I'd actually made made the move because it, it was it was challenging. And I guess working in the city investment team exposed me to a really broad range of work. I, I was obviously focused on on development um, with Jeremy and, and his his team. Um, but I also got involved in investment transactions and Jeremy was also surveyor to a livery company, which meant that I took on a portfolio management role, which I think I have come to appreciate the the value and the benefit that that gave me more retrospectively than at at the time. But it gave me the opportunity to work on a range of asset classes, including hotel, industrial, retail, um, even on occasion agricultural land, on a wider geography that covered the whole of the southeast of England, and engage on work that ranged from asset management through to project management and purchase and sale. So it was a phenomenal grounding in that environment. And in many ways, the move there, it wasn't a learning curve. It was, it was vertical, but I really, I really enjoyed it. So up until this, this point now, sort of Alex, you've, you've, you've sort of laid out a very, very logical um, uh, pathways so far, and certainly to the audience, it sounds like it's going it's going really, really smoothly and very successfully. But inevitably, not everyone's sort of career does does go along that nice smooth trajectory. So, just share us a little bit in terms of maybe what one of the greatest sort of challenges or the hurdles you faced during this time. Certainly. So I think I mean clearly there was a, a hurdle in in terms of pivoting into a team where I, I didn't have. The, uh, the the university grounding because I was only halfway through, uh, or if that through the degree course. So I was really learning while I was on the job in that respect, and I had just been promoted to associate director. So I was coming at, in at a level where I, I really had to work hard to sort of perform at, at the level that I felt I needed to be at. Um, but I think the other element that was was challenging that required a bit of a, a shift in perspective was was culturally and i think towards the the latter part of my time in in the capital markets environment more generally speaking with friends and colleagues for example in the uli and in ladies in real estate which which is set up by adina david um speaking to them at, at a similar stage of their career to me in a similar market i found often that, that the support would come from very high up in the organization but it wouldn't necessarily always be there 
from the wider middle management. And as one progresses and becomes more senior and assured in, in their role and capability, it becomes more apparent that this is something that needs to be navigated. And many organisations are focused on, on the, the importance of diversity and inclusion. And I think more so now than any time I've experienced in, in my career to date. And the headline messages delivered by senior leadership are really important, but they also need to be lived and breathed right the way through an organisation. So it becomes a central and integral part uh, of the culture, one that would be owned by every member of that organisation. And from my experience, I would observe that businesses operating in a capital market and an agency space may have to work a bit harder than, than other parts of the industry to strike the right balance in terms of future work culture. Uh, and another observation I would make is that that was a challenging culture for, for everyone, so including young one, my, white, white men. Uh, and to my mind, diversity and inclusion is, is part of the solution to break the status quo and result in a more balanced and, and professional professional environment for all. Well, I think it's a very, very important message, isn't it, for the, for the entirety of sort of the, um, uh, the industry. Moving, moving forwards, what do you think you were most looking to, to gain or to learn at this step? I think what I wanted to understand was, if, if I think back to my planning days, there were decisions where I would say, this is a great thing to go, go for from, from a planning perspective. And it wouldn't happen because the, the commercial viability or the, the economic rationale of, of that didn't, didn't stack up. And what I really wanted to do was to understand the, the full array of, of different considerations that a developer or, or someone trying to bring forward uh, asset management would, would have to go through to determine that a particular property or a particular strategy, whether it was core plus or value add, what worked for, for them and, and why. And really the, the city investment team and the, the um, residential capital markets team that I worked in after that uh, was an opportunity to, to really in, engage in that, particularly in, in obviously the commercial and residential market context as well. Um, and we, we know where this is, this is going because I, you know, I, I gave the teaser away in the, uh, <laughs> in the introduction. Um, you're now with, with TFL. How soon into that journey about sort of wanting to learn more and sort of broaden, broaden that sort of that, that involvement did that opportunity come along? It was actually, I'd been in capital markets for about five years by the time that that opportunity came up. And I think it arrived at, at the right time because I had been a consultant providing advice in one capacity or another planning or, or capital markets for 11 years at this point. And I had a bit of an itch to go out and actually do some of this and, and maybe to, to, to deliver some some development and be the decision maker because I'd spent so long advising people to 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 do certain things or how we would recommend development pr progresses but that wasn't always the, how things things turned out and actually the opportunity to to um, put put what I'd learned I, I suppose into practice was something that that really appealed. Now let me ask you a quick question um, about politics and real estate. Mm. Given someone like yourself who's been sort of really open and honest about about the the particular sort of 
political sort of colour and the involvement you've you've had in for the past sort of 10, 10 or eleven years of your career. Was there any conflict then when you came to to, to join an organisation like TFL, who maybe doesn't necessarily sort of share the same sort of values or themes that maybe the Conservative government had or sort of Conservative Party had? Mm. It certainly was something that that crossed my mind for for obvious reasons, and I'm delighted to say that that it hasn't been a, a problem at all. Uh, and TFL is a, a broad um, house in terms of of the people that make up it as an organisation, and I think that diversity of of thought is only a good thing. Um, from a personal perspective, I do try hard, given I am politically active, not to bring politics into my day job because I. I don't think it's helpful, but I do think the context of thinking about these things is helpful. And whether you have a, a red, blue or a different colour as your personal leaning, I don't think that changes the execution of things, uh, or at least I don't think it has to. And I think there are advantages in, in making sure that, that that is the case. Sticking on that, that same sort of topic, and then I, pro- I promise we'll get into the meat of sort of TFL, is... We talked about there about about conflict. Now, in a positive way, what do you think you've you've most gleaned then from from that almost almost that secondary career within sort of politics? Mm. What if, how has that benefited the your your primary then career within real estate? To my mind, it, it's been a huge benefit. I mean, we are as actors in in industry, not working in aspect. We are making changes that that affect society and people's life chances in the most broadest of of terms. And actually, I've really used the the political involvement I've had with organisations to build and and help my understanding of how to go about um, thinking and and delivering development uh, to a certain extent. One thing I haven't mentioned yet is... The Coningsby Club, which is a, a political discussion organisation with each event uh, for, for Oxford, Oxbridge graduates, with each event having sort of 40 to 80 attendees. And I, I had the opportunity to chair that at, at quite a young age, around 24, 25. And if I highlight one of those speakers, my, my final speaker was with Lord Michael Hesseltine, who has had a fascinating political career, but started out as a property developer uh, and he was a pioneering figure in in establishing London Docklands Development Corporation when he was Secretary of State for Environment and he turned around this sort of pattern of deindustrialization and decline into a, a story of regeneration and, and that wasn't linear by any structure of the imagination but certainly investment in infrastructure like the DLR started to change the fortunes of this part of London and, and he did uh, something not not too dissimilar for for Liverpool. So I wanted to draw out from, uh, I'm just using this as a particular example, but wanted to draw out from his experiences what he felt was the most critical in, in ingredient in achieving these reversals of fortunes. And, and there were two things that I would draw from it. One was he had this belief in the devolution of decision-making and finance to local decision-makers and, and business leaders. And, and that probably came from his own experience as a property developer. But he also had this vision of community engagement and really personally, to a certain extent, um, entered into some fairly hostile environments at that time to engage with communities on how development can shape their their communities and their their lives. And and I think that approach was quite ahead of its time. And I still think we have a lot to learn about how we communicate with the people who are the end users of, of our 
our products. Uh, and if I link that then back to Bright Blue, for example, we hosted last summer a conference on social housing and we engaged with Shelter, who um, brought someone in who is on housing benefit, struggling with the challenges of, of suitable housing accommodation to come and talk to us directly. And if I'm honest, that's the only event I've ever attended as a real estate professional where I've actually had the opportunity to speak with someone who is living on housing benefit about what it is like to be in that situation and, and what we could be doing more to make that that, that 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 situation better. So I think we should only be doing more of that. And, and to bring it back to your, your question, to my mind, these activities just gave me more colour and context to, to the activities that I am now, for example, doing with TFL. Okay. Well, let's get into the meat then of, of TFL. What was, what was it that got you most excited about about this chapter in your career and what, and what are you involved in? So, um, again, I'd, I'd actually had an insight into what TFL, sort of the opportunities of, of, of TFL as an organisation uh, when I was involved in the ULI as a young leader running the Public-Private Partnership Events Programme. I'd invited Graham Craig, who's Director of Commercial Development at TFL, to speak to the ULI. And therefore, when this opportunity came up with TFL, I, I already had awareness of that this was an organisation on a, on a very exciting trajectory. And I met with Peter Elliott, who's my current boss, who was ambitious and, and brimming with energy about the sort of the work and the opportunity that, that TFL has. And he, he is very passionate about excellent design and the creation of social value um but he does have also this uh, grounded realism if you like around the, the challenge of developing assets with significant transport infrastructure and, and operational complexities um and i thought that was that was fantastic so I, I joined his team which is the major projects and pipelines team at, at tfl as the senior property development manager i wanted to see to take a, um, a quick moment to have a quick look look back and compare compare these chapters and these these big sort of steps you've made in your career which which had the steepest learning curve when you made the transition from planner to capital markets or Mm. capital markets to development manager client undoubtedly it was the move from planning to capital markets principally because the skill set that was required was materially different uh, the, the culture was was different and I suppose the way it, what was expected from clients was was also quite quite different uh, and to a certain extent the sort of the, the investment development and this portfolio management role meant I had quite a lot on on my plate the move into residential cap markets comparatively was enormously straightforward because you, you're you're dealing with a different different asset class uh, and that was an asset class that I, I already had a lot of interest in um, from from my planning days, but also actually the the activities I was doing with with Bright Blue. And then the move to TFL has been very challenging, but in a different way. In the sense of, I think it's probably pulled more on my leadership capabilities and my ability to look at the whole picture and, and make sure that that nothing has been left behind in terms of. The, the program management of delivering uh, sites of, of the scale that we we are working on at, at TFL. Okay, um, let's talk about um, go back to my my favourite topic about these waves and chapters. In these in the first let's say sort of twelve months at, at TFL, what was the what was the 
greatest sort of challenge that you you thought you needed to to sort of learn develop yeah you know, what was what was really sort of fueling that growth personal growth I think it was a, a fewfold and and that was firstly I was conscious for the first time that I was working in a real estate in con- context where by real estate is not the, the the sole and even the biggest focus of the organization transport for London is a transport authority uh, and what we are doing in the real estate uh, division is trying to utilize the assets that the TFL has and it. it's got a 5,700 acre estate that that has huge potential to, to deliver homes and jobs that the capital needs but also ultimately drive um, revenue generation effectively uh, to invest in improving our our transport network at, at the same time as, as meeting the mayor's priorities in, in terms of of building affordable homes so alex I want to be able now to be able to, to share a lot of a lot of what you've learnt and what particularly maybe what the skills that you have developed over this time to our audience. So, if you imagine that sort of toolkit that you've you know, that you've sort of amassed over the past sort of twelve years, what would you say has been the, the greatest sort of help to you in t- in terms of building your career up until mm. this point? So obviously and inevitably, I, I've had the the huge fortune of of a family that that are in. Uh, real estate, uh, and that is is something that I, I feel is important to acknowledge as something that's that's really helped me. But I think another component which is really important, and actually is something that everyone can uh, can access if they want to to go out and reach for it, is is mentorship, uh, and that came through the ULI Young Leaders Mentorship sco- uh, Scheme, uh, and I've been very fortunate to have a, a number of of different mentors over the over the years. Um, but I'm particularly grateful for the guidance and mentorship of, of Nick Jopling, who, who I mentioned in particular because he has been mentoring me now for, for approaching a decade. And Nick is, is, is now a consultant with a, a portfolio of senior advisory roles, but he was previously property director of, of Granger, a FTSE 250 company. And the, the, the value of that cannot be underestimated in, in terms of having a safe space to talk with someone about what your own aspirations are, what the, your own challenges are, but with someone who has that really high le- high senior level of, of expertise and understanding and, and that long view of the industry in which, uh, in which you work. So mentorship, to my mind, has been really valuable at, at key junctures or, or forks in the road um, in, in my career. And I, I think it's something that can offer value to everyone in, in their career path if, if they want to to seek it so I'm very uh, great grateful for uh, to Nick and, and the other mentors that I've had over the years in that respect in particular okay I want to take it um now to sort of to move on and to start sort of take and let's say sort of shift our perspective looking backwards now then looking into into the future mm. um given the success that you know, you've experienced up until this point it's an obvious sort of question you know what do you wish to next achieve Yes, yeah, so I suppose in many ways, what I'm trying to do now is to to consolidate and bring to bear the the, the positives of all the experiences that I've had in my uh, career to date. And in terms of now, the the practicalities of that is I'm working on uh, leading the delivery of around 1,400 new homes and uh, actually delivering two new state of the art bus garages across three different sites in in the London borough of Hackney. 
And the, the Hackney sites are, in many ways, just one example of, of uh, sort of the opportunities to drive delivery of new homes, new jobs, create new operational transport infrastructure, uh, and create sort of better environments, green space, public realm, um, uh, through the work that, that we are doing with the, the TFL sites. In terms of next steps, I think the opportunity at TFL is is growing, frankly. COVID-19 has, has obviously presented a huge challenge to businesses right the way across the world. And, and I think it, there's a real sense that TFL can play a role in, in catalyzing regeneration in high streets at key development sites across London, uh, and in doing so, help communities and, and small businesses uh, recover f- from the crisis. And to that end, I think TFL has a, a really big opportunity ahead in, in terms of becoming a, an independent organisation capable of raising commercial funding for, for future in investment in a way that doesn't uh, rely on, on the core TFL business for any funding. And, and if that were to go ahead, then that could mean that the organisation is, is looking at a significantly larger and accelerated programme of housing delivery and, and regeneration across London of, of up to 50,000 homes over the next 25 years. So in terms of my sort of next steps, I, I see um, growing up my capability to lead the delivery of, of com- complex master plan development um, and secondly being really uh, excited to play a part in unlocking this opportunity for, for TFL. Um, I've joined a team that's engaging on on shaping the, the purpose in engagement of the new organisation and for me helping to lead discussions regarding what this new um, organisation could be rep- represents a very exciting new chapter. So once more we talk about we talk about these themes these waves these chapters you know it's really i think it's fascinating alex in particular in your, your career we've got really distinct ones here because of often it's about about almost the the discipline you're working in planning capital markets uh, residential development what i wanted to, to find out was that has your drive um do what what's you know what's sort of driven that sort of personal sort of engine has that changed with those chapters or has that been consistent I think overall it's it's been pretty consistent. It's just manifested in in taking me in different directions at, at different times. I, I have always been ambitious and, and wanting to stretch myself and, and to a certain extent I have taken opportunities and jumped into them with both feet, not knowing that the end result would be a good one um so, so there's there's a certain amount of of just going with things and, and taking the opportunity and, and seeing where it where it ends i suppose over the passage of time what i have tried to do in is channel that drive um into directions that i think um bring the best of what i've done in the past t- to bear on on the, the projects and, and work that i undertake uh, at the present moment. So if I think back to my planning days, um, the involvement in, in heritage instructions, right the way through to learnings that I've picked up in my uh, polit- political activities, to my mind, the, the, the thing that's changed the most is my ability to put what I'm doing into a broader context, whether that is uh, a community context or, or right the way through to a, a national context in terms of of, of policies like the government's objectives to, to level up okay 
And then on a, on a similar theme about sort of looking over at the career as a whole, I wanted to ask about success. Mm. And it's, it's a really important sort of theme because in order, you know, the people who I invite on, on this sort of podcast, I consider have, have had a successful career. Um, has your attitude of success changed during that career? Yes, I think un, undoubtedly it, it has it has changed uh, and to a certain extent matured as as I have done in my earlier years. I think I was probably a little bit focused on on the the, the rungs of the ladder and, and practical career progression, whereas now I would say that I place much more value on the the what, the why, and the the how, uh, and I guess I take much more notice of the journey perhaps more so where I was previously focused on the destination. And again, I think that the ULI and Bright Blue and the, this desire to better society people's lives and, and drive outcomes that, that, that support those uh, endeavours, so there's an element of maturing that's, that's enabled me to see that that is what's Im- important to me. Uh, I suppose a second component uh, that we've already touched on in terms of culture and diversity and inclusion, and that's you really have to enjoy the environment that you work in. And it's really important that the ethos and that the collaboration within an organisation is aligned to your personal values. And in many ways, that's why TFL resonates with me so much as, a, as an individual, because it's a pleasure to be in this environment. And it's a, it's a pleasure to work on instructions that are, are genuinely focused on delivering better outcomes for the society and, and communities in, in which they exist. Well, I mean, you gave me a, a beautiful sort of segue there about sort of the uh, destination. It, it does bring us to the end of this recording, Alex. So I want to say thank you very much for, for sharing your uh, your career with us. I've really, really enjo- uh, enjoyed it. And in, in particular, sort of your, what's, because particularly with the politics there, about some, sometimes being sort of quite a novel sort of influence that's, that's had as well. So thank you very much. Uh, and likewise, thank you very much for having me. The Urban Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world, with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast, and we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join, quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.